0: Welcome to Israel Week in Review with your host, Ben Ronsman. Today is Thursday, August 12th. In about 15 minutes per week, you can gain insight into the top stories taking place in Israel and the broader Middle East. We also provide you with explorations of history, culture, politics, and more. Visit IsraelWeekinReview.com to receive updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Origin Story Marketing. Search engine optimization is essential in today's business environment. To learn more about how Origin Story Marketing can help customers find your business, visit originstorymarketing.com. In another example of the groundbreaking nature of the Abraham Accords, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid visited Rabat, Morocco, in order to formally open relations between the two countries and to sign three framework agreements. The first agreement covered political consultation between both countries. The second agreement covered culture, youth, and sports and the third covered air service between Israel and Morocco. Since 1948, Morocco has maintained informal relations with the Jewish state. After Israel and the Palestinians signed the Oslo Accords in 1993, Morocco and Israel established low-level diplomatic relations. Unfortunately, these relations were suspended after the Al-Aqsa Intifada began in 2000. Relations between the two countries were nonetheless marked by informal, but significant back-channel contacts. The Moroccan-Israeli component of the Abraham Accords establishes Morocco's formal recognition of Israel. Morocco's Foreign Minister, Nasser Barita, called for the resumption of Israeli-Palestinian peace talks and also reiterated Morocco's support for a two-state solution based on the 1967 borders. Mr. Barita lauded the long history of Jews in Morocco and stated that bilateral relations between the two countries were not like any other due to the large and important Moroccan Jewish community in Israel. Over one million Israelis can trace their ancestry back to Morocco, which had a very large Jewish community before the founding of the State of Israel. Mr. Lapid was accompanied by Welfare Minister Mayor Cohen, who was born in Morocco and made Aliyah with his family when he was seven years old. The Jewish community of Morocco still consists of 3,000 individuals, and Israeli Jews have been allowed to visit Morocco with organized tour groups over the years, even when there were no formal ties between the two countries. In fact, the Israeli delegation was warmly received by Casablanca's Jewish community, the largest in the country. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid inaugurated the Israeli liaison office in Rabat. Moroccan officials are scheduled to do likewise in the coming months. Mr. Lapid also stated that he believed that within two months, these liaison offices would be upgraded to full embassies with dedicated ambassadors in each country. Mr. Barita stated that there are at least 10 additional agreements between the two nations in the pipeline. Peace with Morocco has already produced diplomatic gains for Israel. In June, Israel was given observer status at the African Union. Although Israel is not technically in Africa, it does border an African country, Egypt. The Palestinians received observer status in the African Union in 2013. Israel's acceptance as an observer in the Union was opposed by a number of member states, especially South Africa, Algeria, and Tunisia. However, this was not enough to scuttle Israel's inclusion. It is believed that there are many African nations eager to establish full diplomatic relations with Israel. Israel has announced the formation of a new division of the Israeli police force, called the Saif Division, to combat rising crime in Israel's Arab community. Combating rampant crime and violence in the Arab community was a plank in the platform of every Arab political party in the Knesset. Notably, the Ram Party, which of course is part of Israel's government, has argued that Israel does not combat crime in the Arab community with the same zeal that it does in Jewish communities. They argue that this has led to a state of lawlessness and increased violence. Currently, 90% of shootings in Israel occur in Arab communities, even though Arabs only constitute 20% of the population. So far in 2021, 57 Arab Israelis have been murdered in the country. In 2020, 96 Arabs were killed in various acts of violence, mostly perpetrated by other Arabs. It's estimated that there are 400,000 illegal weapons in the hands of people without authorization to hold them. Most of these weapons are circulating within the Arab community. While gun ownership in Israel is not uncommon, gun control measures are much stricter than in the United States. Gun owners must undergo regular training sessions as well as a psychological evaluation. The psychological evaluation is conducted periodically, and gun owners must review their license every few years. The Saif Division has already executed its first major operation, seizing weapons throughout the country. 1,000 Israeli police officers participated, and 41 arrests were made. This increased investment in policing includes $770 million additional dollars allocated specifically to the Arab community. The funds will be used to hire additional Arab police officers— improve Arab police relations and build new police stations in Arab communities. Unlike in the United States where minority populations have complained that their communities are overpoliced, Israel's Arab community has long argued that their communities are underpoliced. They argue that their communities do not have sufficient police protections and that Israeli police do not combat crime in their communities with the same resolve as in Jewish neighborhoods. This has led to many rallies in Arab communities against gun violence and calls for the Israeli police to crack down on a growing criminal element. Unfortunately, there is more bad news from Israel's dysfunctional northern neighbor, Lebanon. This beleaguered country can hardly even pretend to have a functioning central government. Their economy has largely collapsed, and the government cannot fulfill the most basic requirements of sovereignty. Most notably, Lebanon does not have full control over its territory, and the Shia Hezbollah militia operates with a free hand. The Lebanese army is simply no match for this battle-hardened and well-funded Iranian proxy. Lebanon's dysfunction was demonstrated again this week. On Friday, Hezbollah fired 19 rockets at Israel. Three of these rockets accidentally landed in Lebanon. Ten rockets were intercepted by Israel's Iron Dome system, and the remaining six rockets landed in an empty field in the region of Har on the border of Syria, Lebanon, and the Golan Heights. After Israel's pullback from southern Lebanon in 2000, the United Nations confirmed that Israel no longer occupied any Lebanese territory. The United Nations, often quite hostile to the Jewish state, certified that Israel had withdrawn to the internationally recognized border. This was unacceptable to Hezbollah, who needed a continuing reason to maintain their state within a state. Hezbollah claimed that an eight-square-mile piece of land on the formerly Syrian Golan Heights was actually historically a part of Lebanon. This area was dubbed the Sheba Farms, because Hezbollah claims that the area served as agricultural fields for the Lebanese town of Sheba. Between 2000 and 2006's Lebanon War, Hezbollah attacked Hardov Sheba Farms 33 times. They killed seven Israeli soldiers, took three hostages, and injured dozens. In fact, the 2006 war was started after Hezbollah launched an attack on an Israeli patrol in the area. They killed three soldiers and took two hostage. But what led to the particular attacks this week? Well, it seems that a Palestinian group in southern Lebanon fired a number of rockets into Israel. Israel responded with attacks against the launch sites. Hezbollah then began launching these attacks into Israel. It seems that Hezbollah was seeking to minimize Israel's response. That is likely why Hezbollah rocket attacks were directed at empty fields in Haradov. This saber-rattling caused major concerns in Lebanon. With the government in crisis, an economic collapse of the Lebanese economy, power outages, food shortages, and a lack of basic goods and services, the last thing that Lebanon needs is a war with Israel. It seems that other Lebanese groups are growing increasingly frustrated with Hezbollah as well. Last Friday, a group of Druze villagers from Shuya. Angrily detained a Hezbollah rocket crew who were setting up rocket launchers from a Druze civilian area. The villagers angrily surrounded the Hezbollah militants and alerted the Lebanese army, who confiscated the rocket launchers. Video of angry Druze villagers was shared on social media, and Hezbollah was roundly criticized for directly endangering civilians. Later, Lebanese Maronite Catholic patriarch, Bashar Abutras al-Rai, was especially harsh. He condemned Hezbollah and urged the Lebanese army to confront the militia and disarm it while fully taking command of the country south. He stated that Hezbollah had no right to drag the nation into a needless war against Israel, where Lebanon's civilians would undoubtedly suffer. Such direct confrontation with Hezbollah is rare. It reflects the frustrations of non-Shia Lebanese, with a group which is suspected of assassinating Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri, having culpability for last year's port explosion, and blocking any and all attempts of investigating either one of these national tragedies. The country is sharply divided between the pro-Iranian and Syrian forces led by Hezbollah, they're called the March 8th Alliance, and those who fear Hezbollah's complete domination of the government. This group is referred to as the March 14th Alliance. In business news, tech giant Microsoft acquired Israeli startup, Pure5, to improve live streaming on the company's business communications platform, Teams. Pure5's technology helps Teams to optimize bandwidth usage. Companies are increasingly relying on streaming to interact with their employees and customers. It is projected that the video conferencing market will be valued at $50 billion within the next five years. Microsoft has stated that its Teams software has 145 million daily users, The terms of the agreement have not been disclosed. And now for defense news. The Israeli Air Force and U.S. Central Command have announced the completion of the Desert Eagle Joint Drill on Tuesday. This drill is historic because the United States has announced that Israel will no longer be part of the U.S. European Command and will be moving to the U.S. Central Command. The Unified Combatant Command designations are geographically organized to help the United States project its force anywhere in the world. It cooperates with allied countries in those respective regions. Until recently, Israel was unable to collaborate with most other countries in the Middle East region. The CENTCOM region looks considerably more friendly these days. Israel has peace agreements with Egypt, Jordan, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Israel also has well-developed, albeit unofficial, security relationships with Saudi Arabia, Oman, and even the semi-autonomous Kurdish region of Iraq. Moving Israel into U.S. Central Command allows Israel to improve cooperation with its neighbors, who also seek to confront the threat posed by Iran. The drill took place at the Uvda Air Force Base in the southern Negev. During the drill, the Israeli Air Force simulated an enemy air force. The air crews practice various operational scenarios, including joint exercises against ground, aerial, and combined threats while striking designated targets. We hope that you have enjoyed this program. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on any number of channels in which we operate. This includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Stay tuned for additional content, including our deep dives on various topics and upcoming interviews. This has been Ben Ronsman from Israel Week in Review, providing you with a breakdown of the week's news from Israel, as well as thoughtful perspectives on the region's politics, history, culture, and more. Visit IsraelWeekinReview.com in order to receive regular updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review has been brought to you through the generous support of Origin Story Marketing helping customers find your business through search engine optimization. To learn more, visit originstorymarketing.com.